Hello, everyone. My name's Ariel. Yes, really. And this is Fairy Tale. A quick reminder before I get started I'll be reading the original, unsanitized versions of these stories, and the following may not be suitable for children. Today, I'll be reading to you the original version of The Story of the Three Bears, where Goldilocks makes no appearance, and The Bunyip, a tale from Australia. The Story of the Three Bears Once upon a time, there were three bears who lived together in a house of their own in a wood. One of them was a little, small, wee bear, and one was a middle-sized bear, and the other was a great, huge bear. They each had a pot for their porridge, a little pot for the little small wee bear, and a middle-sized pot for the middle bear, and a great pot for the great huge bear. And they each had a chair to sit in, a little chair for the little small wee bear, and a middle-sized chair for the middle bear, and a great chair for the great huge bear. And they had each a bed to sleep in, a little bed for the little small wee bear, and a middle-sized bed for the middle bear, and a great bed for the great huge bear. One day, after they had made the porridge for their breakfast and poured it into their porridge pots, they walked out into the wood while the porridge was cooling, that they might not burn their mouths by beginning too soon to eat it. And while they were walking, a little old woman came into the house. She could not have been a good, honest old woman, for first she looked out the window, and then she peeped in the keyhole, and, seeing nobody in the house, she lifted the latch. The door was not fastened, because the bears were good bears, who did nobody any harm, and never suspected that anybody would harm them. So the little old woman opened the door and went in, and well pleased she was when she saw the porridge on the table. If she had been a good little old woman, she would have waited till the bears came home, and then, perhaps, they would have asked her to breakfast, for they were good bears, a little rough or so, as the manner of bears is, but for all that, very good-natured and hospitable. But she was an impudent, bad old woman, and set about helping herself. So first she tasted the porridge of the great huge bear, and that was too hot for her, and she said a bad word about that. And then she tasted the porridge of the middle bear, and that was too cold for her, and she said a bad word about that too. And then she went to the porridge of the little small wee bear and tasted that, and that was neither too hot nor too cold, but just right. And she liked it so well that she ate it all up. But the naughty old woman said a bad word about the little porridge pot, because it did not hold enough for her. Then, the little old woman sat down in the chair of the great huge bear, and that was too hard for her. And she sat down in the chair of the middle bear, and that was too soft for her. And then she sat down in the chair of the little small wee bear, and that was neither too hard nor too soft, but just right. So she seated herself in it, and there she sat till the bottom of the chair came out, and down she came, plump, upon the ground. And the naughty old woman said wicked words about that, too. Then the little old woman went upstairs into the bedchamber in which the three bears slept. And first she lay down upon the bed of the great huge bear, but that was too high at the head for her. And then she lay down upon the bed of the middle bear, and that was too high at the foot for her. And then she lay down upon the bed of the little small wee bear, and that was neither too high at the head nor at the foot, but just right. So she covered herself up comfortably and lay there till she fell asleep. By this time, the three bears thought their porridge would be cool enough, so they came home to breakfast. Now the little old woman had left the spoon of the great huge bear standing in his porridge. Somebody has been at my porridge, said the great huge bear in his great gruff voice. And then the middle bear looked at his, and he saw the spoon was standing in it too, 
They were wooden spoons. If they had been silver ones, the naughty old woman had have put them in her pocket. Somebody has been at my porridge, said the middle bear in his middle voice. Then the little small wee bear looked at his, and there was the spoon in the porridge pot, but the porridge was all gone. Somebody has been at my porridge and has eaten it all up, said the little small wee bear in his little small wee voice. Upon this, the three bears, seeing that someone had entered their house and eaten up the little small wee bear's breakfast, began to look about them. Now, the little old woman had not put the hard cushion straight when she rose from the chair of the great huge bear. Somebody has been sitting in my chair, said the great huge bear in his great rough, gruff voice, and the little old woman had squatted down on the soft cushion of the middle bear. Somebody has been sitting in my chair, said the middle bear in his middle voice. And you know what the little old woman had done to the third chair. Somebody has been sitting in my chair and has sat the bottom out of it, said the little small wee bear in his little small wee voice. Then the three bears thought it necessary that they should make further search, so they went upstairs to their bedchamber. Now the little old woman had pulled the pillow of the great huge bear out of its place. Somebody has been lying in my bed, said the great huge bear in his great rough, gruff voice and the little old woman had pulled the bolster of the middle bear out of its place. Somebody has been lying in my bed, said the middle bear in his middle voice. And when the little small wee bear came to look at his bed, there was the bolster in its place, and upon the pillow was the little old woman's ugly, dirty head, which was not in its place, for she had no business there. Somebody has been lying in my bed, and here she is, said the little small wee bear in his little small wee voice. The little old woman had heard in her sleep the great, rough, gruff voice of the great, huge bear, but she was so fast asleep that it was no more to her than the moaning of the wind or the rumbling of thunder. And then she had heard the middle voice of the middle bear, but it was only as if she had heard someone speaking in a dream. But when she had heard the little, small, wee voice of the little, small, wee bear, it was so sharp and so shrill that it awakened her at once. Up she started, and when she saw the three bears on the one side of the bed, she tumbled herself out of the other and ran to the window. Now the window was open because the bears, like good tidy bears as they were, always opened their bedchamber window when they got up in the morning. Out the little old woman jumped, and whether she broke her neck in the fall, or ran into the wood and was lost there, or found her way out of the wood and was taken up by the constable and set to the house of correction for the vagrant she was, I cannot tell. But the three bears never saw anything more of her. The Bunyip Long, long ago, far, far away on the other side of the world, some young men left the camp where they lived to get some food for their wives and children. The sun was hot, but they liked heat, and as they went they ran races and tried who could hurl his spear the farthest, or was cleverest in throwing a strange weapon called a boomerang, which always returns to the thrower. They did not get on very fast at this rate, but presently they reached a flat place that in the time of flood was full of water, but was now, in the height of summer, only a set of pools, each surrounded with a fringe of plants, with bulrushes standing in the inside of all. In that country the people are fond of the roots and bulrushes, which they think of as good onions, and one of the young men said that they had better collect some of the roots and carry them back to the camp. It did not take them long to weave the tops of the willows into a basket, and they were just going to wade into the water and pull up the bulrush roots when a youth suddenly called out, it did not take them long to weave the tops of the willows into a basket, and they were just going to wade into the water and pull up the bulrush roots when a youth suddenly called out, After all, why should we waste our time in doing work that is only fit for women and children? 
Let them come and get the roots themselves, but we will fish for eels and anything else we can get. This delighted the rest of the party, and they all began to arrange their fishing lines made from the bark of the yellow mimosa, and to search for bait for their hooks. Most of them used worms, but one, who had put a piece of raw meat for dinner into his skin wallet, cut off a little bit and baited his line with it, unseen by his companions. For a long time they cast patiently, without receiving a single bite. The sun had grown low in the sky, and it seemed as though they would have to go home empty-handed, not even with a basket of roots to show, when the youth, who had baited his hook with raw meat, suddenly saw his line disappear under the water. Something, a very heavy fish, he supposed, was pulling so hard he could hardly keep his feet. For a few minutes, it seemed either as if he must let go or be dragged into the pool. He cried to his friends to help him, and, at last, trembling with fright at what they were going to see, they managed between them to land on the bank a creature which was neither a calf nor a seal, but something of both, with a long, broad tail. They looked at each other with horror, cold shivers running down their spines, for though they had never beheld it, there was not a man amongst them who did not know what it was, the cub of the awful bunyip. All of a sudden, the silence was broken by a low wail, answered by another from the other side of the pool, as the mother rose up from her den and came towards them, rage flashing from her horrible yellow eyes. "'Let it go, let it go,' whispered the young men to each other, but the captor declared that he had caught it and he was going to keep it. He had promised his sweetheart, he said, that he would bring back enough meat for her father's house to feast on for three days, and though they could not eat the little bunyip, her brothers and sisters should have to play with it. So, flinging his spear at the mother to keep her back, he threw the little bunyip on his shoulders and set out for the camp, never heeding the poor mother's cries of distress. By this time, it was getting near sunset, and the plain was in shadow, though the tops of the mountains were still quite bright. The youths had all ceased to be afraid, when they were startled by a low rushing sound behind them, and looked around and saw that the pool was slowly rising, and the spot where they had landed the bunyip was quite covered. What could it be? they asked one another. There was not a cloud in the sky, yet the water had risen higher already than they had ever known it to do before. For an instant they stood watching as if they were frozen, and then they turned and ran with all their might, the man with the bunyip running faster than all. When he reached the high peak overlooking the plains, he stopped to take breath and turned to see if he was safe yet. Safe. Why, only the tops of the trees remained above the sea of water, and these were fast disappearing. They must run fast indeed if they were to escape. So on they flew, scarcely feeling the ground as they went, till they flung themselves on the ground before the holes scooped out of the earth where they had all been born. The old men were sitting in front, the children were playing, and the women chattering together, when the little bunyip fell into their midst, and there was scarcely a child among them who did not know that something terrible was upon them. The water, the water, gasped one of the young men, and there it was, slowly but steadily mounting the ridge itself. Parents and children clung together, as if by that means they could drive back the advancing flood, and the youth who had caused all this terrible catastrophe seized his sweetheart and cried, I will climb with you to the top of that tree, and there no waters can reach us. But as he spoke, something cold touched him, and quickly he glanced down at his feet. Then, with a shudder, he saw that they were feet no longer, but bird's claws. He looked at the girl he was clasping, and beheld a great black bird standing at his side. He turned to his friends, but a flock of great awkward flapping creatures stood in their place. He put up his hands to cover his face, but they were no more hands, only the ends of wings, and when he tried to speak, a noise such as he had never heard before seemed to come from his throat, which had suddenly become narrow and slender. Already the water had risen to his waist, and he found himself sitting easily upon it, while the service reflected back the image of a black swan, one of many.
Never again did the swans become men, but they are still different from other swans, for in the night time those who listen can hear them talk in a language that is certainly not a swan's language, and there are even sounds of laughter and talking unlike any noise made by the swans whom we know. The little bunyip was carried home by its mother, and after that the waters sank back to their own channels. The side of the pool where she lives is always shunned by everyone, as nobody knows when she may suddenly put out her head and draw him into her mighty jaws. But people say that underneath the black waters of the pool she has a house filled with beautiful things, such as mortals who dwell on the earth have no idea of. Though how they know, I cannot tell you, as no one has ever seen it. Thank you everybody so much for listening. It's been a pleasure to continue reading to you. You've just become available on Apple Podcasts and would be greatly appreciative if you would leave a review. You can also reach out to me at fairytalereadings at gmail.com or on Facebook at Fairytale Podcast. So we ask that you stay safe and healthy, and any money you would have donated to a Patreon or similar go to any of many relief efforts or to supporting your local community and looking after one another. At the time of recording, we are up to just shy of 300 listens, and I just want to do a quick shout out to all of our listeners in the United States, Australia, France, Japan, the United Kingdom, India, Brazil, Germany, Indonesia, the Netherlands, Singapore, Italy, Canada, Turkey, Spain, Hungary, Sri Lanka, Thailand, Czechia, the United Arab Emirates, Argentina, Norway, Sweden, Tunisia, Portugal, Taiwan, the Philippines, Vietnam, Lithuania, Israel, Mexico, New Zealand, and Chile. Thank you all for listening. I can only hope I help. If you have any requests, again, please reach out to me at fairytalebreadings at gmail.com or on Facebook at Fairytale Podcasts. You can also find me on deviantart.com under senshi-mini-j. My sound editor is Scott Hill. The opening music, Passing Beauty by Dan Philipson, was licensed from premiumbeats.com. The artwork for the series was done by me. Thank you all again for listening. This is Ariel, swimming off. start this list over Scott. For a long time, the cast patients by this time I was getting near sunset. Sunset? Really? <laughs> there was not a cloud in the sky, yet the water has risen. risen. There was not a cloud in the sky, yet the water... Oh, jeez. Come on, Ariel. Ah, oh, okay. That's a typo. <laughs> and the wicked woman said naughty words about that, too. <laughs> Naughty. Oh gosh. Not that kind of naughty. No, no, no. Bad. Bad plans. <clears throat> wow. Uh, mm. <sighs>